I want to start this morning by thanking my wife, Adrian for sharing last week as well, um, vulnerably, but with so much wisdom and uh, uh, spiritual maturity about mental health. And, and if, if uh, you haven't seen that um, and you or you, somebody you know struggles with any sort of mental health issues, please go back and check that out because you will be blessed by it. I was proud of her as, as her husband, but also deeply moved as uh, somebody who's, who's struggled with mental health issues, bipolar 2 disorder, uh, for, for as long as I can remember. And, and I'm sure um, I'll have an opportunity at some point to share more about um, that experience for me. Um, in a future sermon, but mental health is really close to my heart, which is um, why we're starting this men's group on Thursday. Um, Alan was so brave, but most guys think they got to stuff that stuff down. They got to just cope with it, deal with it, stiff upper lip, and we need to talk about this stuff. We need to create space where we can just be weak. It's okay to, to, to show our weakness, to let other people in, uh, and to share our stories. So if, if you're a dude, uh, and you're in this room, that means you're in middle school or above, you're welcome to come and join us in that. Um, if you're a fully grown man, you're welcome to come to that as well. Um, uh, as we continue our series on soul care, we're talking about health in general. What is, what is health? And, and today we're talking about trauma, how we can strive for health after we've experienced trauma. And I know that some of us joining today in person or online others who are going to watch this uh, later on this week. When we talk about trauma, we're talking about potentially the worst days of our lives, the worst things that we experience in our lives. And I know that revisiting those experiences can be difficult, and so I hope to do this in a way that's helpful and compassionate. And one of the ways I'm going to do that is by sharing my own stories. Um, you know, it, for, for some reason, it, you know, it's commonly believed that we need to lead with strength. And I think that leading in the way of Jesus means leading with vulnerability. And so as I share these stories, I'm not saying, look at me. Um, I, I can't share anybody else's story. That's their story to share. But I can share my experiences and how those have shaped me and how God has worked in the midst of that. Uh, a couple of good definitions uh, from, from mental health associations and trauma counselors about trauma that I'd like to, to share with you so that we have an idea of what we're talking about. Trauma is the challenging emotional consequences that living through a distressing event can have for an individual. Another definition, trauma is any experience that overwhelms your thoughts, emotions, or body. Some examples of uh, traumatic experiences include abuse, I and mean, that's what we dived into last night. Um, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, spiritual and religious abuse, and I'll talk a little bit about that uh, in my own story today. A couple other examples of trauma, childhood neglect, experiencing and witnessing violence, exposure to school violence, a sudden or violent death of a loved one, fear of harm or high stress environment, being in an accident or a natural disaster. So here are some examples of 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 trauma that people experience, and you may say, ooh, if I had a bingo card of tra traumatic experiences, maybe your bingo card is full, and then my heart breaks for you if that's the case. But most of us can probably highlight at least one of these and say, that's a part of my story. There's also such a thing as collective trauma. Collective trauma is, is experiences that, that we go through together with a larger group of people. It's not just my individual story, it's something that we're all facing. 
And you look at those last two on there, fear of harm or high stress environment, being in an accident or a natural disaster. Think of those last two, fear of harm, high stress environment, being in an accident or natural, natural disaster. Does that remind you of anything? You're 2020. Can we just say 2020 sucked? Yeah. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that in church? Good, I just did. Um, 2020 was rough, right? I mean, you, normally you wouldn't call a pandemic a natural disaster, but what else is it other than a natural disaster? COVID-19 in other events of the year, but specifically COVID-19, was probably the largest collective and global trauma that the world has faced since World War II. And I, I, I snort laughed last week when Adrienne talked about those, who, those of us who struggle with mental health, and, and, and she said, welcome to the party, as we saw other people experiencing anxiety and depression and fear because of the pandemic. And we all went through that again together. And, and I also want to acknowledge that it's not in our past, even if I want that to be in our past. I mean, many, many lost loved ones, and that grief doesn't heal quickly. Others are stricken with long COVID, permanent illnesses due to the side effects of the virus, and others are immunocompromised and still have to live like we all did at the height of the pandemic. And if that's you and you're joining us online... Um, because being here in person isn't an option for you. We just, we just want to say we see you and we're grateful for your engagement online. And if that's you and, and that's how you participate in our church, just say something in the chat. Just say hello or anything like that so we can know to be praying for you. And if there's a way that we could encourage you or, or, or just let you know that we see you and we love you, please reach out. We'll pick up the phone. Um, we'd love to talk and pray with you. For all of us, 2020 was a collective trauma, whether we realized it at the time or not. <clears throat> and I think sometimes when we experience something like that together, it, us as individuals, we maybe don't see it, just how deeply it impacted us. We, we see others struggling more severely than we are, and so maybe you just dismissed how hard it actually was for you. Can you remember any breaking points along the way? during the lockdowns, the quarantines, any times where you're overwhelmed with loneliness, anxiety, or anger? I can remember my breaking point. Uh, for the most part, during that time, I was actually doing pretty well because as a pastor, I had plenty to do. There was, there was no shortage of people to call and pray with. I could work with the local food banks and organize volunteers to get people there so that, so that people who had food insecurity issues or lost their jobs or whatever, could have a bite to eat. You know, we were, were trying to find creative ways like freezing in an Illinois winter doing a drive-through nativity scene. That was brutal. But, but we had a purpose. We found a way to make stuff happen. And, and I did okay for the most part. But for me, it was trauma stacked upon trauma that was ultimately my breaking point. In the midst of, of all of this, that we were all kind of going through is a time where I experienced what I now know was something called spiritual abuse from a pastor who was in authority over me. And I'm not gonna give all the details of those conversations, but I'll break it down this way. I provided what I thought was pretty tame feedback on a sermon. I felt um, with all of the racial unrest that was going on at the time um, and being at the most diverse campus uh, with, uh, in the most diverse city of our multi-site church, 
felt like our congregation needed a little bit more and that the people of color in our church needed their pastor to say, we see you and we love you and we have your back. And that was met with rage. (laughs) The first meeting I was just screamed at over the telephone, interrogated like I had done something wrong. And the whole time I'm like, how do I make peace? How do I just make peace in the situation so that this, this will just end? And that's what happens a lot of time when you're in one of those situations. You're like, how do I just get this over with? And then, you know, later I learned that they were going through my social media to see what kinds of things I was posting. And I was told I was too radical in the things I was posting to try to keep conversations going about, you know, the racial tensions that we were facing and how do we build reconciliation across these lines. And then another meeting where I was just screamed and shouted out over Zoom, and this time it was just the same exact conversation. Honestly, what it was, um, and I don't say this to make excuse, what it was is I was the whipping boy. Um, There's a lot of pressure to lead a church during COVID. There's, There's all this stuff going on, people telling you, you know, you should think this, you should think that. It was also an election year, so of course people are all over the place. The church should do this, the church should do that. And for whatever reason, all of that just got laid out on me in those moments. It was brutal. I became scared in a time that was already anxiety riddled. I became angry. But I will say this, in my anger, I never felt the need to take it out on somewhere, someone else or to bully them as an outlet for my own stress. I needed safe people to vent and get those things off my chest, but I never <laughs> felt like I needed to punch down. Anger is never an excuse to mistreat people, especially those who have less power than you. And if you struggle with anger that spills out into abusive ways, please repent, get help, experience the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, and find better ways to cope with your emotions. I'm so glad that I had Adrian, uh, my pastor and friend, Diana, and uh, the, the dudes from my seminary cohort who let me vent, and, and they all helped me find healthy ways to, to take this anger and, and, and do something positive and proactive instead. So that my hurting didn't lead to me hurting others. But this was the moment for me when all of it stacked up. I felt it in my body. I was tense. I was on alert at all times. And that is not good for your mind. It's not good for your body or your soul. I started wondering if I was crazy. I mean, he was so strong in what he said to me. Perhaps I'm the one who's wrong. Perhaps I'm sinful. I started to wonder if I could even trust myself. All of these experiences, it just felt overwhelming. And that's pretty mild in terms of what people experience. Um, Just hearing the stories of abuse that we've heard, just the way that you distrust your own body and thoughts when you've experienced these kinds of traumas, it's unsettling. And and I I just want to say I have compassion for you if you've experienced any sort of abuse. So I share all that as one example of of a, a traumatic experience. And we all probably have some version of that story. You know, I, here I am worried I'm going to lose my job. How do I speak up for my convictions without getting fired in the middle of a pandemic and I don't know what to do? I was just overwhelmed and scared and angry. And I share it because we just need to lean in. We can't ignore trauma. 
And the, you know, during the pandemic, so many of us wanted to just get back to normal. And honestly, I think a lot of us never processed what we've been through together or as individuals. And especially our young people, so early in life, they went through this roller coaster experience. I mean, the alarm bells were ringing in March of 2020. People were getting sick and people were dying. School is canceled. You can't go anywhere out of your house. This is scary stuff for anybody, but especially for kids. And then as adults, like, you know, we'd seen some heavy things in our life. So like once it felt like it's okay, maybe we can get back to normal a little bit. We rushed to get back to normal. But if you're a young person, you probably were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I remember what normal is. This experience that I've gone through is so extreme, and, and one year of my short life is a far greater percentage of one year in your life. Don't call me old kids. And I think about young people, your education interrupted, social life and social development interrupted. Anxiety was on high alert because of this very real and scary threat. After all these years, some of us are still having trouble bringing that anxiety level down. So to the youth in our room, whether this was your experience or not, I just want to say we see you, we welcome you, we make space for you to process whatever you're experiencing. I know the group that meets next week for student mental health, please come if you're feeling that tension in your body, if you're feeling overwhelmed by anything in your life, come, you will benefit, I promise you. More importantly, Jesus sees you, he's near How do I know this? How do we know that Jesus is near to us in our traumatic experiences? Well, the prophet Isaiah told us this before Jesus ever even came to earth. Before Jesus was ever born, Isaiah said, this is what God's Messiah, the Savior, would be like. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Those are just big Bible words for for sin, the brokenness we contribute to this world. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we think of the work that Jesus came to do, we often limit his work to the forgiveness of sins, but Isaiah told us it's so much more than that. The equation is much bigger than that. He also came to bear the pain of the traumas that we experience because the brokenness that sin has brought into this world. He came to bear our sin, but he also came to bear all of the consequences sin, even others sin on our own lives. Jesus, God in the flesh, he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. He did not exempt himself from trauma. Instead, he experiences it so that he can identify with us. In fact, on this side of the cross, he suffered first before we did, right? Diane Landberg, in her great book, Suffering in the Heart of God, says that that when we experience trauma, we share in the sufferings of Christ. In our suffering, he is not far. We can call on his name and he hears us. We can weep and know that he weeps with us. We can ask for healing. And even if that process takes the rest of our lives, he walks with us, serving as a crutch as we limp along. That's what he came to do.
So what does healing look like after trauma? First, it can look like a whole lot of different things. And, and I, I, have, this is, I don't have enough time to do all of it. And I don't know all of it. I just wanted to introduce it so that if, if somebody is needing help, you can reach out. You can reach out and ask for help and go deeper than we can go this morning. It's going to take all different shapes and different types of trauma, need different types of treatment, and I don't want to act like I've got it all figured out, but I want to help us get started. How do we take steps toward healing after a traumatic experience? First, we cannot do this alone. We need to find safe places and safe people. We cannot do this alone. We have to share our story. We have to explore how we feel. We have to find people who hear us, believe us, respect us, and commit to walking through this with us. So the question is, how do you know somebody is safe? That's a hard question to answer. How do you know somebody is safe? Sometimes trauma messes us up so bad that we don't even trust our own instincts and, and and we wonder if we're even seeing clearly. And so even our instincts on who can I trust seem to be a little bit messed up, right? So it's okay to take your time and slowly open up as you learn if somebody is safe or not. Kyle Spears is a licensed therapist and a theologian. And he said on his podcast, he has a podcast called Truth Trauma Theology. And he said it's about risk and respect. I risk with you and you respect me trust goes up. If I risk with you, if I'm vulnerable with you, and you still respect me, my trust goes up. You show me little by little that risk by risk that you respect me, that you won't look away when my story gets uncomfortable or awkward. You believe and affirm me as I unpack my trauma. Then you show yourself to be someone who's safe. This goes for the one who's looking for help, looking for a safe place, but it also goes for us, the church. If we want to be a safe place, we need to listen. We need to believe people's stories. We need to lean in and show them respect. More insight from uh, Kyle's podcast uh, came from Diane Langberg, who wrote the, the book I referred to earlier. She said it's understandable when people are cautious as they determine who is safe. Everyone believes that they're safe, but we need more than words. She says, look for those who have a track record. Who do others say are safe people in safe places? Here at FCC, we hope to develop a leadership team, group of pastors and elders who are safe. We strive to be a place of healing. But we also know our limitations. I can only take you so far. I'm not a, I'm not a therapist. I'm not an abuse counselor. I'm not any of those things. But I have access to people who are that are trustworthy. If you need help, please don't be afraid to reach out to us. We will get you in touch with a network of people who can find uh, the best help for you. And there is no shame in asking for help. Just two weeks ago, I said to Pastor Ty that he needed to hold me accountable. Um, through digging into the series and some stuff that got stirred uh, up when uh, we made a trip home uh, to visit our, our family in hometown. I've been struggling with my own mental health. I, I said jokingly, Ty, if I don't set an appointment with a therapist by the end of this week, you get to determine what my punishment is. He told me that punishment would be that I would have to preach in a Cubs 2016 World Series shirt. They, no, don't you do it. They beat my Cleveland team. See, I'm wearing my Guardian shirt. 
cruel and unusual punishment he called for, but it was a good motivator. And as you can see, I've got my guardian's gear on today because I actually took that step. I recognized I need help, and I'm not ashamed to say that I can't do this alone. I need to find somebody trustworthy who can just listen and, and, and ask questions, give me practices that help me connect with Jesus to help me know myself and, and walk forward in healthy ways. We all go through trauma in our life. Please don't be ashamed to ask for help. So we find safe people and places, but what else can we do? I think this is a, a tough one, but it's something that we, we need to strive for. Be honest with yourself. And this is one that I need to hear, for, hear myself because some of us, we have a t- high tolerance for emotional pain. But that doesn't mean we're not going through pain. Some of us are gifted in denial. Our own brains block out memories and, and we put ourselves in self-protection mode. Some of us are this meme here. It's old, but it never gets old to me. This is fine. I've heard so many stories of trauma, especially in stories of abuse, where where many talk about how they blamed themselves. They thought they must have been doing something to deserve the trauma they were going through. They couldn't trust their own thoughts, whether it was the severity of the trauma or whether it was the manipulation of their abuser. Was it really that bad? Did it even really happen? It's important for people to believe to, to be believed, which is, again, why you seek safe people and places so they can hear your story and say, I believe you. I'm sorry that happened to you. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And then we need to internalize that. We need to believe that. We need to learn to believe ourselves. We need to learn to be honest with ourselves. so important to be honest with ourselves when we're thinking about traumatic experiences. It's so important that we are honest uh, with ourselves about how we currently feel. Take stock of where you're at. It's okay not to be okay as long as we're honest with ourselves about that. Because then we can say, okay, I've identified where that brokenness is. I'm still experiencing it. Now I can take steps. Pastor and author Carrie Garcia talks about this concept in her book, Free and Fully Alive. And she said this in an interview that I found really helpful. We want to be free of pain. And that's not freedom because that's not reality. Freedom is the ability to be able to name whatever your experience is without fear or condemnation. Using it as an invitation for the Holy Spirit to come in and tend to and hold, rejoice or weep, whatever we're feeling. To be free and fully alive is to be awakened to your whole life into view and not sever ourselves from parts of us. The things that used to take us out no longer take us out because we are looking at them. And the things that we want to rejoice in, we get to rejoice in the fullness of their color because we know pain and we know joy. The free and fully alive life is to experience the presence of God in our joy and pain. It's in that honesty that realness with God where healing begins and new life can take root. Last night, Dr. Andrea uh, Subiu, she, she was amazing, by the way. She's so wise and uh, it was so helpful to have her here and have her expertise. But uh, she talked about it in a way of, of this agricultural thing that comes up in scripture all the time. For some, some new life to come, something must die. For a dandelion seed to take root, an old flower must die. We must grieve what was lost, what was stolen from us as we experience trauma. 
We must present, we must be present to all of it, our pain, our joy, our sufferings, and our celebrations, and God is present in all of it. Let's be honest with ourselves. That means we need to learn to trust ourselves. Being honest with ourselves means we need to learn to trust ourselves. We need to learn and listen to our feelings. In the book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, trauma victims cannot recover until they become familiar with and befriend the sensations of their bodies. Being frightened means that you live in a body that's always on guard. Angry people live in angry bodies. The bodies of child abuse victims are tense and defensive until they find a way to relax and feel safe. In order to change, people need to become aware of their sensations and the, and the way their bodies interact with the world around them. Physical self-awareness is the first step in releasing the tyranny of the past. That is such a great line. It's, such, it's so important to know that, to listen to our bodies, to attend to what we feel. Much smarter people than me have talked about this, the connection between our, our mind, body, soul, all of that stuff. But I know from personal experience how this, true this is. One of the reasons I, I told Pastor Ty I think I need to talk to somebody is when we were in Ohio visiting family, I was in a setting where I just felt uneasy. It was a familiar setting. It's a setting that has bad memories for me. And halfway through just that, that time, I noticed my foot was doing this. For about an hour, my foot did that. And the whole time in my mind, I'm thinking, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And I, I don't know what it was. It's just, it just all this stuff that I didn't even think about for a decade just came flooding back. So much forgiveness has taken place in these relationships that I'm talking about. So much work has been done. The things that I've experienced, I don't hold these things over anyone. I forgive, but man, do I still hold those things in my body. It was an alarm bell. It was something to be paid attention to. Why am I feeling this? What pain or fear was just triggered that I'm now physically on alert like this? We don't run from those things. We notice them and we tend to them. If your body is giving you warning signs that all is not well with your mind and your soul, don't ignore it. Trust yourself. Trust your gut. So much more can be said about this, but once you have safe people that will tell you the truth and you tell the truth to yourself. Learn to trust yourself, trust your gut, trust your body. And the last thing, the last thing I'll say today is a good step or a good posture to have as we walk towards healing after traumatic experiences. Be patient with yourself. Healing from trauma is difficult. It is not a straight line. We make progress and we have setbacks. And for some reason, we think it should happen quickly and that there should be obvious, easy steps that make sense. We're impatient. In her book, uh, Suffering in, in the Heart of God, Diane Langberg uh, referred to a study that once asked random people how long they thought it took the average person to grieve the loss of a loved one. The general consensus was two weeks. What? I heard what? Yeah, what? She follows it up by saying, that answer must surely have been given by those who have never stood at the grave child of a loved parent, spouse, or child, right? Grief and healing from trauma takes time. It takes a lifetime, and if we're honest, we question if we're ever truly healed on this side of eternity from some of these things that we grieve over. 
Again, one other, one other example for me was back home, family wanted pizza from a particular pizza place, Bellicinos. <laughs> I call it Bellicinos because I like that better. But. And I'm driving down a familiar street and I passed Highwood Avenue, the, the, one of the places uh, that I lived growing up. And immediately, these, these memories come flashing back. Thirty-year-old memories. All these people have been vulnerable, so I said I had to do it myself. Um, <laughs> memories of being in a driveway with the siren lights a police car there to make sure that the custody transfer is, is safe for me and my siblings. And how am I still feeling this 30 years later if the body doesn't keep the score? <laughs> I'm good, Chris, thanks. And you know what? These scars remain, and I think that's okay. These scars remain, even though so much healing has taken place. I'm so grateful for the story of the resurrected Christ who tells Thomas, touch the places where the nails were. Touch my side. Touch the scars of my crucifixion. He's not ashamed of his own wounds. Freely displays them. And we don't have to be ashamed of the scars that we carry. We can be patient with ourselves as we over and over again present them to Jesus, who shares in our suffering and we, we share in his. Part of the reason we struggle with grief so deeply and with patience and healing is honestly because we bring a lot of our own culture. Even when we read the Bible, we have to realize that we bring ourselves to the text. And in Western culture, we have really messed up ideas about strength and weaknesses. And this comes from the fact that our version of Christianity is a Greek one. Uh, the, the, the earliest people uh, who were followers of Jesus were obviously Jewish, but it spread quickly in the Greek world. And all of a sudden, Greek philosophy starts getting mixed into the way that we think and talk about Jesus and about God. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 1. He says this, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. That would be the Greeks. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I could get into so much of this nerdy theology stuff all day long, but the Greeks could not, one of their rules about gods is gods can't suffer. Jesus does not make sense to a worldview that says God can't feel pain or suffer. And now these Christians are running around boasting about weakness and saying the crucified one is the Lord? That doesn't make any sense. But we have in scripture a God who reveals that he is willing to suffer. He didn't run from trauma. He took it on his shoulders and, 
And that didn't change his power. If you read Philippians 2, you know I'm obsessed with that passage. It is so good. God willfully said, I don't, I, I will make myself weak. And that's still not a threat to my kingdom. It starts with him making himself low, giving up his very life for us, and being seated on the throne. There is no weakness that we bring to the table that threatens Jesus' lordship. But he takes our weakness and our suffering on purpose that we might share in it and bring healing one day, resurrection, no more pain, no more tears. In the coming weeks, we're going to introduce a song that uh, one of the hippie worship bands that I like uh, does. They're called The Porter's Gate. And, and they sing this line in the song. It says, in his wounds, I find room for all of mine. In his wounds, I find room for all of mine. I love that. We have a God who suffers. A God who bears his scars for eternity. And we can be patient with ourselves as we heal. We're going to worship and take communion in a moment together. Thank you for being patient. I know I'm going long today, but how do you put all this into one thing, right? But as we go to communion, let's remember that Jesus is Isaiah 53, the one who suffers and bears our sin and our suffering. Let's look to the Jesus of 1 Corinthians 1, Christ crucified. Our, our hope is in a God who is victorious, not by crushing those who are weak, but by becoming like those who are weak so that we might be saved and healed. We look to the Jesus of Philippians 2. Jesus, who is king above all, and there is no human weakness that is a threat to his lordship. Our king, came, our king became like us to serve us and to take up our sin and our suffering through death on a cross, and that is what we celebrate when we celebrate communion. I want to read a poem to you at risk of further becoming emotional. <laughs> this is in Diane Lang Langberg's book, uh, Suffering in the Heart of God. I recommend it. It's a great resource. But this is a poem of, of somebody who experienced great trauma and uh, was actually a, um, a, an abuse survivor. And this is the poem. I'll put the words on the screen as I read it. Abused, abandoned, battered, broken, Emotions ridiculed, body penetrated, soul invaded. Stripped, taunted, cursed, beaten. The victim. Told you. <laughs> the victim lay prostrate on a cross, robed in light years of grace and glory. Love incarnate, now exalted, blessed and lauded, praised and honored. The victor sits beside his father, cherished, chosen, redeemed, radiant, gowned in perfect bridal splendor, cleansed and glowing, guilt-free, blameless. The bride will stand beside her bridegroom. That is a beautiful picture of Jesus identifying with us no matter what we've been through. He went to the cross for it. He suffered for you and for me. And we can bring all of that to him. So please, if there is a need for you to, to say, hey, I can't do this alone, please come talk to somebody. We would love to help. It would be an absolute privilege. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and we're gonna sing. 
And as we sing this first song, there's three communion tables around the room, and we'll have people at those tables serving communion. Please come up during the song while you're worshiping and get the communion elements, the bread and the cup, and then Benji and Pastor Mario are going to lead us in between songs as we take communion together. So just hold on to it. Come and get the elements, but hold on to them. But I want to close with this because this is one of the lines we're going to sing in this song about Jesus, our King. When we get to the end of the song, it says, when the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. Even in the darkest time, no matter what you've been through, King Jesus is holding on to you. He won't let you go. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the ability to to be vulnerable just on behalf of everyone who's shared in this series and at the abuse panel. um, I'm just floored and grateful for a place where we can tell the truth, where we can be honest, where, where we don't have to put on a phony version of ourselves and project strength. We can be who we really are, a mix of strong and weak, a mix of healthy and broken, Lord, in that passage, it talked about being a stumbling block to the Greeks. You go on to say it. You didn't choose the smart ones. You didn't choose the powerful ones. You chose the humble ones, the ones who will say, I need you. And so in that posture today, we say, we need you, Lord. We need you. Whether we're at the beginning of our healing journeys from things that we've been through or whether we've been at this for a while, Lord, we need you. We need your presence. Draw near to us in this time. And we need each other, God. I just pray that if anybody is suffering alone, that they would know they are not alone. That you are with them and we are with them and that there is, there is hope. Give them courage, give them strength to reach out, Lord. As we take this time of communion, we, we recognize that, Lord, you've given everything for us. Jesus, you gave everything for us to take away our sin, but also to bear our pain and to give us hope of, of, of an eternal life where there's no more pain and sorrow, no more tears. Lord, we long for that day. Let me pray all this in your saving, powerful name, King Jesus. Amen.